Hey listeners, this is Grady Rains on Cultural Conversations with iHub. Today, we are talking with Joshua Loud, a graduate from Stanford School of Business and currently working as the head of country risk for the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. We will be talking about his experiences with international finance, development, and working in multicultural environments. Hey, Joshua. Thank you so much for coming out. Um, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. So where I'm from is always a bit of a difficult question. Uh, my father was in the Air Force growing up, so we moved around. Um, we spent, uh, spent some time in, in Arizona, in um, Colorado, in, in uh, a few years in Germany growing up, in St. Louis, and then uh, ultimately I went to high school in Utah. Um and then, uh, so I went to BYU, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied, so I did a double major in economics and political science, and I did a minor in mathematics. Uh, and then I, you know, I sort of decided I found, I found like social science research really interesting. I did a couple of research assistant jobs and teaching assistant jobs while I was there, so I decided to go to graduate school. Um, initially with the intention of becoming an academic, so I started a PhD program at Stanford in political economics. Um, and then, you know, after a few years, I realized, you know, I, I'm not actually, so I think economics are super interesting, but I'm not really interested in being an academic. So mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to kind of take my um, education in, in like a more applied direction. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I left. Uh, the, I got a job at the U.S. Treasury Department which seemed like a, a really nice bridge. So it was kind of a research job, but at the, you know, at the Ministry of Finance, effectively uh-huh. of the United States. Um, and so it was kind of a chance to use some of the research skills, but in a way that was more applied. And you know, from there, I went to uh, GE Capital in Connecticut, and then I joined the EBRD in 2015. Awesome, that's super cool. And maybe if you could just quickly explain what, what is country risk? Yeah, so country risk, uh, is kind of a discipline that looks at broad macro risks of investments. So not the, the specific idiosyncratic risks of the investments themselves, but the kind of the risk to all investments in a given country. So in other words, um, you know, if you were talking about building a factory somewhere, there's the risk that the factory itself might not succeed, you know, based on consumer demand or based on whatever. Um, but then there's also the risk that the country has big problems that causes the factory not to succeed. So whether they be you know, economic issues, uh, there's a big recession, and, and that affects consumer demand in a way that, that negatively impacts the, the success of the factory. It could be that there's um, you know, a big political shift that changes legislation in a way that might impact your factory. Um, there are social issues that, that can play into this, whether they're demographic, whatever. Um, even things like climate risks can be related to this, right? So there's, it can be across a broad range of things that would that, that are sort of um, country specific rather than project specific. The approach to- well, how does how does like maybe your work change from country to country? Is there a big is there a big difference? Well, I mean, in some ways it's the same, right? Uh-huh. Um, you have to understand like a set of broad fundamentals that that I mean, you need to understand those same fundamentals everywhere. Obviously, the fundamentals differ, and so there are things that you might drill in and drill in on in one country and not another. Mm-hmm. But like, you need to understand the structure of an economy in all of the countries, right? Yeah. You need to have some basic sense of the political environment in all countries. But um, 
if it happens that, uh, you know, in one country they have, uh, it's a good example. So, you know, this country has, has very large current account deficits, you know, consistently. So I'll spend a lot more time looking at their external accounts versus a country where, you know, their current accounts roughly in balance. So you, you need to be able to drill in, but, but in both cases, you need to know what the current account is. Mm-hmm. Does you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Interesting. And then what, what makes EBRD, the European Bank, different from other developmental banks? Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's kind of, so the largest development bank is the World Bank. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people know the World Bank. It, it's a, a bit more um, understood as an institution. Um, and then under, not underneath, but kind of, uh, so the World Bank is, is, is the biggest and it has the biggest, uh, like, remit. So it covers the entire globe. Then there are a series of regional development banks. So there's the Inter-American Development Bank that covers Latin America. There's the African Development Bank that covers Africa, obviously, the Asian Development Bank. The EBRD um, is different in a couple of ways. So first is it was, um, well, first is the obvious geographic point. So we kind of started looking primarily at um, Eastern Europe. Um, And the reason we're different is that we were created uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, basically. So the others go back to Bretton Woods, whereas the EBRD was created kind of when when all the transition from trans, from uh, communist countries to market democracies was happening in kind of the early 90s. Uh, and the point is that Development Bank was created to assist the countries along this path of transitioning from, you know, communist, uh, like command-driven economies to, you know, market-driven democracies, effectively. So we're different in that way. Um, our original remit, like I said, was Eastern Europe and um, kind of Central Asia, so like the, the former Soviet republics. Mm-hmm. We have, in the meantime, expanded a bit. So we are now in Mongolia, uh, Turkey, and uh, we've expanded into what we call Semed. So it's the southern eastern Mediterranean region, which is basically a handful of Middle Eastern countries. So we operate in uh, Morocco, Tunisia, uh, Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, um, and uh, we, we do a little bit of work in uh, West Bank and Gaza, but that's not officially a country of operation. Mm-hmm. Instead, that is uh, through a trust fund that we manage for, for a few of our donors. And what would you say for you, what is one of the most fulfilling parts of working in country risk in such an international, with us international developmental bank? Um, so there are a few things that I think are particularly fulfilling. Um, so one is is that I work with like a very diverse set of people. So it's really interesting to to know people from from so many places. Uh, so I'm just trying to think. So for example, if we sit in a team meeting, like the broader team that I work in. Um, oh, so in our in country risk specifically, uh, there are generally kind of three of us. Uh, it's used, so I kind of head the team. Mm-hmm. We have an associate uh, who is uh, uh, at the moment it's an Australian guy. And then we kind of have a, a rolling uh, rotation from other parts of the bank or interns. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, we had a, a guy from Turkey who spent um, like four or five months with us, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, looking at the broader team, we have uh, you know people from Latvia, we have people from Turkmenistan, people from Azerbaijan, um, we have. Uh, a number of British people, obviously, we, or the organization skews British a bit, given that we are located in London. Mm-hmm. Um, a South African. I mean, it's just a very diverse set of people, like really from all over the world. 
And one thing that's important to note is uh, people think sometimes that the EBRD is a is a European bank in the sense that it's owned by European governments. Uh, while it is true that European governments are important shareholders, um, our largest individual shareholder is actually the United States. Hmm. And um, Japan is a significant shareholder as well. Um, and, and so the point is, is like we, we're really drawing from you know all across the globe. Mexico is a shareholder. Uh, and you work with people from, from all over. And so that's really gratifying. Um, it's also really interesting to be, from, from my perspective, to be uh, exposed to so many different um, issues. So, you know, some people will get very um, specialized in something very niche, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Country risk does not allow you that. So you, you're constantly being forced to look at entirely new things. Um, some people find that frustrating, but I think it's super interesting. So you never really develop like a, a real depth of expertise in a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'll show up, you'll check your email in the morning and you'll say, I uh, guess today I'm going to start learning about um, – you know, Lebanese euro bonds. And that's what you're going to spend your day looking at. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. And then tomorrow, it's something totally different. It'll be gas markets in Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. So you're really um, looking at all kinds of different things, which I think is interesting. And then you talked about how you had, like, you had a, it's a very multicultural team from people all around the world. How do you approach management and leadership while working with such a multicultural team? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. So, at one level, um, you, you always have to be a bit more careful of kind of what your own biases might be and also understanding that like the way that I'm trying to deliver a message may not be received in the way I think I'm, I'm trying to deliver, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and vice versa, right? So, uh, you know, a simple example is just Americans are way more direct than the British. Right. So they, they, they like to be um, the British, that is, they like to be a little bit more um, understated. And sometimes that can lead to like misunderstandings where someone's trying to tell you they don't think it's a good idea, but they're not saying it's not a good idea because they just tend to be a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. So you can have situations where like, you know, the Americans not getting the message that the British person thinks that we should go in a different direction. So, I mean, you have to be kind of aware uh, and culturally sensitive in one sense. Um, on the other hand, I think that people can make too much of these kinds of things. So, like, at the end of the day, people are people. And, you know, the stereotypes definitely do not always hold. And, you know, I know very, very direct British people, and I know Americans who are very subtle. And, you know, in some ways, it's it's really more about knowing the members of your team than it is about knowing where they're from, if that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. And then... You talked a little bit about like interactions you have with with different countries and different cultures. Is it, does your job involve a lot of traveling to these different countries? Uh, it can. So I mean, it depends on uh, what we mean by a lot. Of, so I mean, I'm probably on the road eight to ten times a year, typically for a week. Um, so I mean, I'll visit, and sometimes on one of these trips, I'll visit more than one country. So I would say, on average, I'm visiting maybe 10 countries a year of the ones of the countries in which we invest um so it's not like uh, i'm on the road every week you know it's still quite civilized maybe every four to six weeks i'll, I'll get out mm-hmm. um and then i you know there's there's a handful of countries that i visit consistently and then there's some that kind of every once in a long while might be worth a visit so you know turkey is a is a major country for the ebrd i um well, I mean, generally it's collaborative. So remember that all of the countries in which we invest, uh, 
those governments are shareholders of the EBRD. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, um, like, they have a sense of buy-in as well. I mean, sometimes it, at the end of the day, my job is to protect the capital of the EBRD, right? So when I'm sitting across the table from someone, that's my job is to make sure that we don't um, sustain um, unnecessary losses. You know, and every country would rather that we, we invest as much as possible in their country, but obviously you can't do that. So there, there, sometimes there are difficult questions that have to be asked in terms of, you know, what their plans are, uh, whether we think they're, or, or whether the policies that they're pursuing are sustainable and, you know, under what conditions they might be sustainable. But um, I think you can do it in a way that, uh, and like I said, they understand. And most of these countries, frankly, they're used to investors and other people coming through and asking tough We're Working internationally, but what do you feel like you have, have gained or how has this international career enriched, enriched your life? Um, I mean, I don't know if I can give you an answer that's not going to sound trite, but yeah. in, in terms of like, you know, just having broader perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... A simple example. So I, I mentioned, like, you know, there's a member of the team now uh, that is from Turkmenistan, right? Like, it's a country that I, prior to joining the EBRD, knew almost nothing about. You know what I mean? But yeah. now, I mean, I actually have been there now for work, but on top of that, like, I know someone. It's a face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a, a person I can connect to when I think of this country, and I think about kind of what the you know, what the culture might be like, what people, how their, you know, personalities might even be. Obviously, again, every individual is different, but, um, you know, well, now I know a couple of people from Turkmenistan, so you kind of start to see patterns and, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, so, and then when you read about a place like this in the news or you hear something interesting happen there, it's not kind of, you know, faceless, you know, Central Asia, switch your brain off because you don't really know how to interact. You have no concept of what that might be like you can you can imagine you know what i mean yeah definitely and originally what what inspired you or what led you to pursue an international career if i can ask uh well like i said i, I lived in germany as a child uh-huh. um, and i think at some level i always wanted to to get back to sort of like the international career like there's something i i yeah i there's just something about it that I've always found very appealing. And I have to say, there's something uh, appealing to me about just diversity of opinion, right? So living in a different country, like where you're surrounded by people that, that have different perspectives than you do, forces you to re-examine your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's really healthy. And I think in some ways, I really wanted that experience for my kids as well. So having them be exposed to lots of different things and, you know, they'll always obviously have the American perspective uh, at home and, you know, all their cousins or whatever. Right. But, but also having them be, be aware that other people think differently and, and view the world through different eyes and, you know. Yeah. And going off that, like what, what advice would you give to students or recent graduates that are interested in working internationally? Um, yeah, that's a tough question too because there's so many different ways you could work internationally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was in international finance in London. Um, it would be an entirely different experience to work at an NGO in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. And and my, I think 
if it's if, if that's something you're serious about like you need to make that clear at the outset you know what i mean like to yourself and, and to potential employers like if, if you want to be uh if you want to be abroad at some point obviously you should only be applying to places that might get you there mm-hmm. or that might give you or like help you develop a skill that would eventually get you there so it's not that you know like I, I wasn't going to do much traveling abroad and I certainly wasn't going to be um, like stationed abroad or located abroad when I was working at General Electric, but they provided a skill set that allowed me to get this job, which helped me move, uh, which like I said, was ultimately in, in, in my plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, having language skills and things like that is always helpful. Um, although maybe not as helpful as sometimes people think, but I do think it's useful. I like the, I, I'm always amazed that the, especially within like international finance circles, how good everyone's English is. You know what I mean? So like in some sense, like uh, you know, I uh, I speak German um, and a little bit of Arabic, and I've never really needed either in in any sort of business meeting mm-hmm. because their English is always so much better than than my language skills. Um, but that said, like I think that, you know it it would. Uh, it would never count against you. Is maybe what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, and then I would say, you know, if you want to work in international finance, uh, international finance is still finance. So you have to have the like the methodological chops to do the work. You know what I mean? Like uh, being really keen to move to London or Frankfurt or wherever you want to go is great. But if you can't demonstrate that you can do the job, then then that's gonna you know then you won't get the job. Full stop. So you, you sort of have to um, prioritize hard skills as well. I think so. Maybe that's maybe that's the most important piece of advice I can give. I think I talk to people that fall into that trap of, you know, I'm an international person first, mm-hmm. and what I really want is to live abroad. And so I'm just going to try to apply as much as I can for like places abroad. And when you when the actual um, like interviews are happening, the people on the other side of the desk want to know that you can do the work. So that they're not really that interested in whether or not you're going to have a really nice expat experience. They want to know that at the end of the day, the job will get done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really important that that doesn't get neglected and that comes through, that you can do the job. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Joshua. Maybe like, I think just a, one more question that I kind of thought of. What do you, what do you see the future of, of country risk? As, is, do you think the field is changing in the future? Um, or how do you feel like it is going to change moving forward? Yeah. So um, you're not the first person asking this question. It's a difficult one. I, yeah. I can't see the future, obviously. Um, at some level, uh, country risk, like every other discipline in you know in finance, I think, will change as as the technological tools improve. Um, I mean, sometimes people ask whether you know. A, a, big parts of finance can be automated and probably some of them can but I think for something like risk I, at the end of the day you, uh, I think you have to have a person looking at things you know what I mean like mm-hmm. uh, AI cannot do everything um, I, I think people working with AI will probably be the, the way things go and that's it I think there are a lot of um, technological tools that will help country risk like improve as a discipline so, I mean, just to give you an example, um, this is a bit about like a hobby at the moment, but um, I'm trying to use uh, some like natural language processing um, systems to do things like, you know, checking sentiment analysis on Twitter. 
you can write some scripts in Python that will kind of scour Twitter and find out are people saying, uh, you know, negative or positive things about Poland right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like these kinds of tools are still um, underutilized in a lot of places, but I think that there's a lot of potential for these kinds of things. Um, and so in the future, I mean, things like coding skills may not have been um, an obvious tool to develop uh, maybe 10 years ago, but I think that, you know, it's definitely two year advantage going forward. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for answering those questions. I, that was that was very informative for me, and I learned a lot, and I'm sure other people will learn as well. Is there anything else that you feel like that you'd, that you'd like to share or thoughts that you have? Um, maybe just to emphasize one more time, like lateral moves can be okay, right? And what I mean by that is like when I left graduate school, I knew that I wanted to do something internationally, but the best job available to me was this job at the U.S. Treasury Department. And that job I knew would be focused on more domestic issues. I mean, there were a few opportunities while I was there to kind of branch into slightly more international subjects. But generally speaking, it was a job focused on, um, you know, researching financial stability in the U.S. markets. Um, so it might have seemed like a step away from where I was trying to go. But actually, in the end, I think I developed skills and things there that did get me where I was trying to go. So I don't think I would have gotten my job at General Electric, which was, you know, a bit more oriented to the international without the experience I gained at the Treasury Department, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of looking for other opportunities, right? Like, even if it doesn't happen right away, you can still be learning things or, you know, developing tools and skills that will help you get there um, down the road. Yeah. Going forward. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for answering those questions. I, that was that was very informative for me, and I learned a lot. And I'm sure other people will learn as well. Thanks for joining us on iHub. We hope you'll be back.